You know, when you look at politics in the United States today, there's not much that the left and the right agree on, except for maybe one thing, and that is just that we are a divided nation. Everybody agrees on that. And my guess is that the U.S. isn't the only nation facing such intense division. The tragic thing about this is that the divisiveness of our politics has crept into our churches. And, you know, crept probably isn't the right word. Political divisiveness has invaded our churches and our businesses and our neighborhoods and even our families. And so the question as pastors and ministry leaders is what should we do? Right? Should we avoid political conversations at all costs? Or should we lean into one side or another and embrace the identity of being a conservative Republican church or a progressive Democrat church? Uh, and if that doesn't feel right, if we, if we do have conversations that engage politics, won't it blow up our church? These are the kinds of questions that I talk about in this episode with my guest, Alan Hilton. Alan is the author of A House United, and he's passionate about helping Christians of different theological and political convictions stick together and learn ways of benefiting from each other. Uh, this sounds just like what we need, doesn't it? This is such an important topic, and I'm really glad to share this conversation with you. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 135 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Alan Hilton. Alan is the author of A House United. Uh, Alan has also been a New Testament professor at Yale Divinity School. Uh, he has served as a pastor for 15 years and in 2016 started a nonprofit called A House United. Same, as, same title as the book. Uh, hi, Alan. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you, Marcus? I'm doing great. Um, Alan, uh, why don't you just share with us briefly kind of what you're doing these days? So I, uh, I was a scholar and then a pastor, as you, as you said, and everywhere that I went, I ran into the sort of the growing problem of people not understanding one another across, especially because I was in a, a biblical field in, when I was a professor, especially across churchy lines. And hmm. so as a pastor, that got more and more acute, and, and the sociologists seemed to know it, and I knew it. But the the nation hadn't quite in, quite mm. found that out. So I decided I would leave regular pastoral ministry and start just trying to help uh, come alongside churches, help them uh, join one another in collaboration and community, even when they were blue and red, or mm. even when they they didn't share primary theological tenets. Um, yeah. Uh, stay stay with one another. So so I do that. I go around the mm. nation 30, 35 weeks a year. I'm somewhere pre-COVID mm. and now post-COVID, yeah. helping people get habits of maximizing their differences. Wow. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Well, and, and so I'm excited to talk about more more about what, what all that means and uh, and how to live that out. Um, let me ask you a couple of quick get to know you questions. Uh, so first of all, Alan, what makes you laugh the most? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I, and you know, it's funny because I was just thinking the other day, I laugh more now than I have in a long time. And oh, I'm not sure, good. but I'm sure an analyst would break that down for me. <laughs> yeah. but, but I'm laughing a lot, which is fun good. and healthy. Um, but my boys, I have a I have a 19 and a 17-year-old. Oh. And uh, 
they are quick with, they're much smarter than I am and they, they're quick witted and they're very good sort of wordplay people. So oh. we'll just be sitting at the table and they'll crank one and I, uh-huh. I just roll. Right. Oh, um, that's great. They, they make me laugh. Yeah. And then, um, Ted Lasso makes me laugh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ted Lasso makes me laugh. Uh-huh. Um, the, I, I like, hopeful laughter and laughter yeah, that's great um, that's great so. i've heard such great things about that show but i don't have apple whatever yeah. apple plus streaming yeah, find I'm a so, neighbor yeah. find come that's to right. my house that's um, right. okay good 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 <laughs> but yeah anyway i'll have to watch that yeah. one of these days it's terrific it's, it's that's great. got a lot of faithful things going on there are uh, articles being written about it. that's cool that's cool um uh next question uh is what was the last movie you went to and what did you think uh yeah yeah so a few months ago, I would have had to say, you know, way back in 2019, I went to a movie. Yeah, right. We right. actually caught Death on the Nile. I'm I'm oh. a I'm a Agatha Christie guy. I like okay. I like British mystery, and so we we caught Death on the Nile, and it was very good. It was beautiful, hmm. and it was a lot. I watched Orient Express before COVID, and okay. it wasn't as good. Oh, okay. This was really good, so I highly recommend it. Awesome. And the food was good too. We went to one of those with uh, big chairs and and yeah, food. yeah, yeah. That's great. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, good. All right. I have to. I haven't watched that one. I'll have to yeah, have to check that one out. It. Good. Good. Well, good. Well, let's uh, let's talk about your book and kind of what your book is all about. And I guess maybe the first question I would ask is, uh, how would you explain the problem that America is facing today? Oh uh, yeah, the. Um, it feels like the problem is is boiled downable by going mm. to so Hamilton is another sort of love of mine the the musical Hamilton mm. mm-hmm. and they are rough on one another right across their disagreements Hamilton and Jefferson spit on one another they they crank up the rhetoric to high mm. levels but they stay at the table mm. right mm. they stay at the table and what results is the American experiment and I think if if I were boiling down our current problem, we just don't stay at the table. We we have contempt enough for one another across political lines and other lines, by the way, racial lines that are related to politics, all kinds of lines um, where we exercise contempt for people we don't even know. And that keeps us there's there's a an MLK quote that I, I just ran into recently. Mm-hmm. It comes from 60, 1963. I don't think many people know it. Um, he was speaking at a tiny college in Iowa, mm. and he said these words to them. I am convinced that men hate each other because they fear each other. Mm. And they fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. And they don't communicate with each other because they're separated from each other. Right? Oh. And that's... That's MLK speaking this language, right? Yeah. And and I think what he was seeing is what I see all all over the place. I had mm. I I had a weekend that kind of epitomizes or a week uh, in in 2018, I think. Mm. I was I was in Florida working with the uh, sort of tall steeple churches leaders in the United Church of Christ, which is the most uh, liberal of the mainline churches, right? That was Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I was in St. Louis working with Missouri Synod Lutheran policy mm. pastors. And that's one of the more conservative of the denominations on, yeah. where on the board. 
And both experiences were terrific for me. And both of them hmm. sort of wanted to get to a solution to what ails American culture, but they didn't know each other. And mm -hmm. so they had preconceived ideas about one another. And I, I came away thinking, all I need to do is have a retreat with all of these people in the same spot. And of yeah. course, they wouldn't sign up for that, right? <laughs> right? Because, right. because they're way out on other ends of the spectrum. And they yeah. had a lot in common that they wouldn't have known. So, so that's, I think that epitomizes our, our distance from one yeah. another as, as people in a nation that is increasingly come apart of this at the scene, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, we don't cross, we don't cross bridges to get to one another. We don't go out of our way to get to one another and our, our, so migratory patterns and our news patterns and all those things keep us from ever knowing each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's, yeah. the, a lot well, of and it's not just clearly churches. It's right. Right. It's yeah. A, and when I say microcosm, I mean, microcosm of yeah. the whole thing. Um, there was a, there was a piece, I think it was 2016 during the campaign, an author for the New Yorker, George Saunders went to, a Trump rally because he's a lefty and wanted to figure these people out. Hmm. And he came away saying, we have two nations, their left land and right, right land. And this was early 2016. I think mm -hmm. it was a July 4th thing. So the election hadn't happened. It kind of the sort of beginning of Trump's uh, presidency hadn't happened, but he was already sort of noticing that these were two language groups. These were mm -hmm. two cultural groups. And if, if you're different and don't know each other, yeah. It ends up with Montagues and Capulets or, you know, it ends up being sort of the, we are two tribes, we stay apart, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, by the church example, I meant to, I meant to make yeah. a microcosm for the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah. 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 Well, and so I guess my next question would be, how did we get here? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, so this is where church kind of has a, has dirty hands, I think, because, hmm. you know, one of the things that I do in my book is trace com contemporary American polarization to, uh, to the fundamentalist liberal controversy and yeah. uh, Fosdick and yeah. Machen and, and how, how two groups responded to science, right? Hmm. Basically, it started with Modern science came, uh, Darwin came, a whole lot of things happened in the 19th century mm -hmm. that, that challenged some of the things in the, in the views of some Christians, challenged biblical truth, bi yeah. biblical sort of literal truth. Right. And they responded differently to that, right? Yeah. But what I don't do in the, in the book, or I do a little bit, is go back to early, early, early in Christianity, because if, if you try to count the verses in which Jesus condemns somebody for what they believe, you end up with a tiny little bit, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you try to count the verses where Jesus gets on people or exhorts or even, even casts them out of the community, they all have to do with wronging one another in community, Yeah. right? So right. for Jesus, if you just count the number of verses and the, and the sort of just the ethos of Jesus, community is here and orthodoxy is here, right? Wasn't very long, though, before that got inverted. Yeah. And, and orthodoxy began to not just uh, beat out uh, 
community, but community became easily viable in the name of violatable in Mm. the name of uh, purity, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. Doctrinal purity. So by 180, we've got, uh, we've got Irenaeus writing against heresies, mm-hmm. even in the even in the New Testament. In Second John, we have him saying, "Don't even eat with those people who mm-hmm. believe this other thing about Jesus." Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus didn't. Do, Jesus hired uh, in the most controversial uh, issue of his time. Jesus hired a tax collector who was the revenue agent for the Roman Empire. Yeah. And a zealot who was trying to overthrow the Roman Empire, right? right? So, so you've got Jesus choosing two opposites in the most volatile issue and the most vehement issue of the time, and saying, yeah. "Okay, you're both on the same team. We've got to figure this out, right?" Yeah. Uh, he only had twelve spots, right? He only had twelve mm-hmm. spots, but he chose two people who were diametrically opposed in their in their politics at the time mm-hmm. to be on his squad, and and that that gave way pretty quickly in, in Christian history. So I could do early 20th century fundamentalism versus modernism, but it really started way before that. Right. And interesting. So, and that dictated culture for the West after a while, right after Constantine, it starts dictating the whole lay of the land. So when, when you're looking at the American problem, it's highly influenced by Christianity and it's, and it's history. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because on the one hand, I feel terrible about all of that. Like, oh my gosh, you know, it goes so far back. On the other hand, there's a part of me that's like, well, at least we're not the first ones, (laughs) you know, it feels, it feels so new, all of this divisiveness and everything, but, uh, it's been around for a long time. So I don't know. So I guess maybe (laughs) there's also then that part of me that's like, well, then what hope do we have? Um, And how would you respond to that? So if uh, I, I just had lunch yesterday with a guy who's, uh, he's not a church guy. He's just given up on the whole project because mm. of what's been happening. And he, he's a lefty and, and he's given up on the project because of recent Supreme Court decisions and uh, read all of this. And he, he doesn't see a path forward because mm. of the inevitability that seems to be setting in. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know a lot of pastors who are that way and a lot of Christians who are that way. And, and what I find when I do this work is that hope comes from experiencing the other and realizing mm-hmm. nobody died, mm-hmm. right? No fatalities. I, mm-hmm. I do, I do these courageous conversations. The largest one was 450 people at, at was at a church in mm-hmm. Minnesota when I was a pastor there. The, the marriage amendment came on the ballot. Um, and so a referendum on the definition of marriage, mm-hmm. uh, which brought up all kind of, it was 2012. It was yeah. the issue on the ballot and everybody in town was buzzing about it, but they were buzzing about it with the people who were on their side. Mm. Right. Um, the people over here were defining marriage in one way. People over here were defining it. And they only talked to one another in, in their groups yeah. So we decided to give them a chance and we, we mm. opened the floor and we said, we're just going to be church. This isn't about the whole community. This is just about mm-hmm. us. And 450 people came out, right? Because wow. they needed help. Yeah. By the end of the night, we hadn't done it perfectly. It's the first one we ever did, right? Um, but, but by the end of the night, people were looking and tilting their heads because everybody was still standing. We talked about the hardest issue in the, in the air at the time. Mm. 
And we came away able to love one another mostly. And Hmm. so that, that experience kind of gets replicated in conversations, whether I lead them or other people lead them, whether somebody asks somebody to lunch, right. And, or coffee and says, you know what, (laughs) it's clear we don't see eye to eye and I've been avoiding you in coffee hour, or I've been avoiding you at the Elks club meeting or, you know, whatever it is. Hmm. Uh, Let's have, let's have a coffee. And instead of avoiding it, let's talk about it and let's get curious with one another and, and actually, uh, actually listen to one another. When people do that, Hmm. they start to get hope. Yeah. But there are too few people doing it, right? Yeah, <laughs> there are too right. few people doing it. Um, hmm. In a broader sense, Marcus, um, you know, I I don't want to treat lightly your question of how do we get hope. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty granular, right? That's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty close to the ground, but it's also very drop in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I what I'm hoping the the subtitle of the book it's called House United: How the Church Can Save the World, right? Yeah. It's it's a overly audacious, overly sort of presumptuous title, but it 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 really reveals what I think, which is yeah. if Christians could overturn this hierarchy of community and, and orthodox, yeah. if Christians could actually see ourselves as doing the mission of unity after yeah. becoming one ourselves the whole thing would change. 70% of Americans are claim Christianity, right? So, yeah. so if you get 70% of Americans committed to being together across difference, it changes. Yeah. It's just, it's just going to take that being a primary mission. Right. 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 And we're away from that. Well, yeah. And, and the, uh, the question I want to ask is how do we get people to do that? I don't know if that, if, is there an answer to that? Uh, or yeah. Do, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, every change starts with, uh, what is it, um, never like doubt, is it Margaret Mead, never doubt that a small group of uh, oh. committed citizens can change the world. It's the only thing that ever has, right? Mm. Um, the I, I want to sort of be a part of and help guide and, and instigate a fellowship of churches and then of just organizations and corporations who say, this is, this is the primary social problem in the United States. So we're going to change what we think about how organizations work in this setting churches. And I'll go there because you and I operate in that land more than, than others um, or primary focus. And if, if, in this sort of culture warish time, in this uh, in this last forty years, and especially the last twenty of increasing political division and divisions of all kinds, um, we have churches declaring as left and churches declaring as right. We have yeah. the the rainbow and Black Lives Matter churches that mm-hmm. flash their uh, that flash their banners, and and we have the. Um, uh, blue flag churches, you know, the, the yep. police supporting and right. uh, anti-abortion churches over here. Yep. And they, they declare and, and it's become normal, right? Yep. What I'm trying to hope is that there will be churches who read John 17, Jesus's prayer mm. that we all may be one. Yep. Right. Um, I pray for these disciples of mine and all who believe in them, uh, d- believe in me through their words that they all may be one. Right. As I am one with you, Father, so let them be one, so that the world may know that you sent me. Right? That's a that's both a call to commitment to one another, yep. and a call 
to commitment to help the world understand God better mm-hmm. by our unity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just they'll know we're Christians by our love, but they'll know God, yeah. right, by yeah. this, because they'll know the unity of God in some way, the triunity yeah. of God, just by us becoming better at this. So I, mm-hmm. I, I think that if churches decided, and it would start small and move, but if churches yeah. decided, you know what our job right now, yeah. Our shalom job right now the, in yeah. this in this place and time is to get good at being together mm. across difference. Yeah, that's the thing that's going to heal our land in yeah. the Second Chronicles language, right? Yeah, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That's the that's the outcome of humility right now. Yeah, right? yeah, is the ability to say I don't agree with you, but I don't think I yet understand it. Mm. Talk to me a little more and and be churches where that is taught as a skill yeah. because it's certainly not taught in the culture, right? right. So if churches take this on, I call mm. it Mission 4.0. If churches were to take this yeah. on as a primary focus in their identity, yeah. not just every once in a while we talk to one another, but yeah. our job in the world is to help heal the land this way. Mm-hmm. Um, things would change, yeah. right? And I don't think it's going to happen in Washington because they go for politicians right now go for money and votes, right? Yeah. And until there are money and votes in unity, they won't do yeah, it. They'll, right. they'll continue to maximize on their, on their uh, division tactics because those work for, for votes and money. So yeah. it's got to start somewhere where we have a mandate and Christians have a mandate, right? So, yeah. so I'm, I'm excited and hopeful that the church might sort of wake to this yeah. Uh, for a lot of reasons, but yeah. generally I am excited and hopeful that the church yeah. might see this as its vocation Yeah. at such a time as this, right? Well, and so have you seen any churches wake up to this yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in your work so, so it's far? Fun to yeah. watch. It's fun to watch it happen. A lot of times uh, the, the churches that contact me and mm-hmm. I don't do marketing. It just kind of happens by word of mouth and, and I'm pretty busy um, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of, church leaders who know they have blue and red in their place mm-hmm. and they've largely maintained whatever unity they have or community they have. They've largely maintained through not talking about those things, mm-hmm. right? They sweep them under so that nobody gets offended and everybody can sit next to each other in the pews right. because right. we don't talk about that stuff. Right. But there are a couple things wrong with that. One is it's a pretty mm-hmm. fragile unity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second is, Social psychologists and uh, sociologists are telling us that in survey uh, research, they're finding that whereas in the past, geography or race or religious affiliation have been primary identifiers of America. Right now, the primary, the most common primary identifier is political partisanship. So Mm -hmm. if, if I come to your church and my main thing that says who I am is... I'm I'm a I'm a red Republican voting person or mm. I'm a blue Democrat voting person. That's my mm. primary identity. Yeah. And you never talk about politics. You're missing me. Mm. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's not I'm not meaning talk about politics as in state a case for mm. uh, for or against Roe v. Wade or I'm I'm saying if we don't raise this part of, of discourse, we're missing a lot of what people care about. And a lot of what defines them, right? So, 
So what I've found, and this is finally getting around to your question, uh-huh. what I've found is that if the, these pastors ask for help because they don't want to have that fragile community anymore. They don't want right. to be a place where we have to walk on eggs right. and we'll just talk about the, the spiritual things and spiritual things never quite ramp over to hmm. the, they, they actually want help getting their people better at this. And yeah. so they, they call me in. And as I say, we have a courageous conversation or I do some training and lo and behold, they can do it. Hmm. Uh, last, uh, last year I was at a, uh, Sandy Springs, Community, uh, Sandy Springs Christian Church is a Disciples of Christ Church in just north of Atlanta. Hmm. And we did a, a crazy conversation on gun control versus gun freedom, hmm. right in the middle of a bunch of mass shootings, right? Hmm. And the people came in just like this, right? They yeah, came yeah. in on each side, guarded and afraid. It was the first crazy conversation I did with that church, yeah. guarded and afraid of one another. Um, in this because they knew if they said this, the other person was going to say that, and it was just going to be a brawl. Yeah. But within 10 minutes, they were starting to say, you know, that's interesting. I don't agree with the big picture you've got, but uh-huh. I agree with that. Huh. How about if we talk? And, and it was huh. the most powerful hour because they, they actually started to say, we both want the same thing. We just yeah. think differently about how we get there. Yeah. We should talk more. And, right. and they came away and they had coffee and they talked more and then they did more conversation after I left. Uh, people start to see we can do this, yeah. right? And their church starts to become a place that's characterized by red and blue engaging one another. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I have read your, your thingification book and, oh. <laughs> and it, one of the things you, you highlight is sort of church growth and the you know the, you've got the survival people and the church growth people right. and both of them in this, in some way are commodifying the gospel and yeah. and and trying to survive in a way. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the things that this does within uh, ecclesiastic circles in, in, within mm-hmm. within our way of being church yeah. is it focuses on the ad- identity of who we are and not how many are in the room and not. Yeah. Uh, it becomes an essential part of who we are yeah. and a, an essential part of discipleship growth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. However, and this is, this sort of is ancillary and it's, it's a, an, a sort of a, a collateral good. Yeah. The churches with whom I'm working, I, I tend to track how they're doing. And this was pre COVID because COVID has messed mm-hmm. with numbers, right? Yeah. Nobody knows how many people come to their church. Now right. And, and, right. <laughs> but pre COVID the churches with whom I was working primarily were growing in numbers and they were mm-hmm. baffled by that because they thought they were going to lose if they started talking about politics. Yeah. They thought they would decline. And instead people were compelled yeah. by it. Right. Not only the people they already had in the house, but people who saw that they were having these conversations said, I don't know what else they do there, but I, I, I want to hear how they're want to hear how they're talking to one another because I can't even yeah. talk to my uncle. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And, and so they become training grounds for uh, being different about mm. difference, right? Yeah. And and that's that's pretty fun to watch, yeah. right? And it, yeah. it does start to get a little roll of hope. The system yeah. seems big, yep. and the system seems inevitably going in a direction of division. Mm-hmm. Then they see something break out at their church, and they start to think, "What if more churches did this? And what if yeah. right, it it could 
could change. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I yes, I see it all over the place in churches um, who who have been divided who come together. There was yeah. church in Richmond, uh, Presbyterian Church in Richmond. They live right on their church is right on Monument Avenue, where all the all the sort of do we tear down Robert E. Lee or do we leave him oh, up? Yeah. That kind of stuff right. is going on in Richmond. It, it was kind of emblematic of that church. They mm. were having all kinds of red blue difficulty. We did four. Uh, courageous conversations over the course of four or five months uh-huh. and they started to realize we kind hmm. of we kind of own one another we hold one another hmm. differently than we used to because we knew what those people believed until we started talking to them hmm. and then they didn't believe exactly the same things that we yeah. thought um, that so. that's yeah that's amazing um and you uh, you mentioned briefly Mission 4.0, which in your book you talk about is really kind of the strategy, I suppose, or maybe the the way forward. And maybe you yeah. can talk about what that means. Yeah. So so it, it's a, a little bit illogical because uh-huh. the the three main missions in the history of the church, if you just kind of break down what churches tend to do, yeah, have been evangelism, spreading yeah. the good news, and hoping that people will embrace the gospel of Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, charity, uh, doing service and Matthew 25 stuff, right? Um, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. Mm-hmm. In as much as you've done it to the very least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me, right? Yeah. Service. So the soup kitchen, the, the um, bread line, the sort of habitat for humanity, yeah. helping people with problems they currently have. So if one was evangelism, two is service or, or charity, three is justice, which, mm-hmm. you know, Micah 6, 8, um, yep. which, which is actually going upstream and saying, how can we make for fewer people who need a food uh, mm-hmm. bank or a, or a soup kitchen? How do we yeah. make for fewer people who, who don't have houses? And, yeah. and uh, Jesus challenges the temple in Jerusalem when he throws down the, the tables of the money changers, likely because there were people who couldn't participate because it was costing too much or, right. So that's a, that's an, a direct go at the system that's producing problems. Yeah. And that's also been a part of Christian history, right? Yeah. Those three have been the foci and hmm. all of them would in different churches be kind of umbrellaed under mission. Yeah. In some way or another. Now, in, yep. in more progressive churches, you very rarely hear about evangelism. In, in some forms of conservative churches, you very rarely hear about justice. But in the whole church, those three have been kind of the folks. Mm. Yeah. What I don't want to say is, okay, we're moving on to 4.0 and it will be the only thing. Uh, right. It. Right, right. So it's an additional. <laughs> it, it's, it's, but the idea is if Jesus prayed that the, that the, People who believed in him through his disciples would be one yeah. and prayed that that would reflect God's character in the world. That's, that's mission. That's not just the fellowship committee's job, right? It's not just we do potlucks together and we like each other a lot. That's we are so uh, committed to one another that we're going to help our world be committed to one another. And sort of show them how it's working with us so that they don't kill one another or start mm. civil war two or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I give some examples of how that's played out, which which are pretty fun. Yeah. Two of them are mine. One of them is uh, one I just heard about that I think you're going to mm. like to hear about. Um, the the two that happened with with my assistance, um, Greens Farms Church is in Westport, Connecticut, and I do quite a bit of work with Greens Farms, and I had done a handful of of creates conversations with them on hot topics mm-hmm. when it it appeared in the news of i don't remember what the local newspaper or news posts were, were but mm-hmm. uh, the the planning and zoning mm-hmm. board mm-hmm. for the local community had for two straight meetings uh, well, two out of three meetings they had to call in the police to avoid mm-hmm. a brawl breaking out Wow. at the planning and zoning meeting because they wow. couldn't speak with one another, right? Wow. And and so the what we would call the mayor in most of the United States, mm-hmm. but they would call first selectmen because their mm-hmm. town council is called the board of selectmen, right? Okay. So the first selectman actually was a member at the church that I work with. Mm-hmm. And he started coming to these courageous conversations mm-hmm. and asking Alan, do you think these kinds of principles would work in our with when our people gather the planning and zoning board or any yeah. of our committees, and of course they would, right? Yeah. We listen well, all the sort of mm-hmm. main blocking and tackling bits of talking well with one another. And he took it back, and lo and behold, things got a little better. That was the church exporting uh, communal mm. practices yeah. across difference, right? Right. In Wellesley, Mass, just a little after that, in Wellesley, mm-hmm. Mass. Uh, Wellesley Village Church in in the middle of the village, been there longer than anybody, I think. It's a congregational church. Mm -hmm. Um, We had done three or four of these creates conversations. And in the the Board of Selectmen, they started to have a hubbub and a a sort of, there there was a a strong disagreement in the board and in the town Mm -hmm. about whether there should be Columbus Day Mm. or Indigenous Peoples Day or both, or Mm. neither, because Columbus was uh, an inspiring Mm. explorer, and he was a schmuck in some ways, right? He did some awfully bad things. And and so they were having the, he's a bad guy, he's a good guy, sort of back Mm. and forth. And the the Board of Selectmen tried to resolve this and say, well, here's what we're going to do, but they couldn't. Mm. They said, we're we're throwing our hands up and telling the community, you guys talk about it and get back to us. So the pastor of the church that I had helped called me and said, Alan, how about you fly out and we do a courageous conversation on this? Hmm. What if we talk about Columbus Day versus uh, Indigenous Peoples Day? So I flew out and 120 people gathered in this tiny little chapel. It was kind of people up the walls. Yeah. And they did beautifully because they had practiced. Mm. Right. Mm. They had done this several times. They had done is the United States a Christian nation. They had done healthcare. They had done right mm. other other topics that divided them. They had yeah. managed to talk about. So they did this. And in the back row were three members of the board of selectmen and two activists, one on each side. And they came up after and asked the pastor, uh, could you do more of these? We need your help. Mm. Right. Yeah. So the world needs help at this. Yeah. I was talking to a corporate leader the other day who said, if you were a company, Alan, if you were a, a public, publicly, uh, you know, if, you're, if your company went public, I would yeah. invest in you because mm. this is an absolute need 
in the nation. Well, I'm not yeah. a public company. I don't sure. aspire to be. <laughs> but it was a, his way of saying, we need help in this. And I'm yeah. saying, why doesn't the church make this something that is primary to who we are? Yeah. He's prayed for it, right? May as well, may as well try it. And yeah. And then export it, which becomes Mission 4.0. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it sounds like it works. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And I, I need to tell you about the one that's going oh, on yeah. in, in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. So I just found about this out about this two weeks ago. It's called One Church, One Day. And one, one in church are together, and one day are together in, in mm. a kind of um, um, logo or, or branding. And they just decided the churches of Eugene, and I don't yet know enough about it to get in huge detail, hmm. but it sounds like one of the Baptist churches in Eugene, one of the one of the leaders, decided this division thing is something Christians ought to do something hmm. about. And so he just started contacting pastors. And pretty soon they had they had churches around Eugene who hmm. are committed together to hope about this and to practices of doing Christianity together instead of just in their buildings, yeah. right? Instead of just with their people. And so they, they have a prayer unit, uh, sort of a prayer practice to pray for unity among the churches. Mm-hmm. And they, they visit one another and they do all sorts of things to break down walls. It's the sort of yeah. Ephesians 2 language, breaking down yeah. the barrier of a hostility. Right, right. right. Um, and and they they do it together, and they don't do it perfectly. They, hmm. but but they're committed to that as an identity of of the church, right? Of, yeah. of what followers of Jesus are called to do, not just in this time, but in any time. In this time, it's more acutely needed. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm I'm actually hmm. going to interview a couple of their leaders in a couple of weeks, and I'll I'll oh. get back to you, Marcus, okay. about about that when I find out more because I know this okay. is an interest of yours. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. There are places where it's blowing up, and and they're becoming yeah. a factor in their towns and in their yeah. Regions. Right. That uh, that gives me some hope, <laughs> you know. And and I'm yeah, I love I love hearing about that, yeah. and hopefully it gives hope to a lot of people who are listening to this. Um, and and so maybe my last question would be so, and you've shared a lot of really valuable kind of insight and and ideas for how to start these, how to how to how to move in this direction and have these courageous conversations. If a pastor came to you and said, uh, where do I start? Like, what would, what would you say as far as, okay, here's a good first step that you can take. Yeah, that's, it's a good question. And, and a, a lot of times the first question I get from pastors is won't my church burn down? If I talk about these things, won't it, won't it just completely, I mean, you, it's like, it's like throwing light on a, throwing a match on a, you know, on a, on a completely yeah. amped up fire. Right. Yeah. Um, the, but I, I find that the first step is simply to start cultivating the desire. Mm. In fact, that's why I wrote the book. I, mm. uh, you know, Blaise Pascal's name. He, he was, he was a French mathematician and phys- and physicist and Christian apologist in uh, France in the 17th century. And he was a Christian guy and uh, thought a lot about uh, detractors' uh, critiques of Christianity. And so he he wrote apologetics. And in his pensées, which is what we have, it's kind of scattered thoughts of his, he he wrote about apologetics um, 
the first thing is to make good people wish it were true and then show that it is right. Yeah. So step one is make good people wish it were true. And, and it kind of goes Marcus to your questions about hope Hmm. Um, because the first step is actually to actually to think it could happen. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's a part of wishing. Make good people wish it were true and then demonstrate that it is. The yeah. second step comes more easily if the desire is cultivated. So in a land where there are there are blue and red churches, yeah. um, this isn't a call for everybody to be the same purple person. Mm. But the, to pastors who ask the question you're asking, yeah. um, I say, we are trying to n- normalize a, a sort of pablum middle position mm, yeah um what we're trying to do is get your people to actually want to be do you know what pointillism is it's a it's an art form where you put oh, yeah. lots of yeah. different colors and then it comes out orange if it's red and yellow or, right. or purple if it's red and blue right right um <clears throat> what we're what we're hoping and what i tell pastors who are inquiring is this is an attempt to level out our difference difference yeah. is an asset we do best if we recognize our difference. In fact, I think First Corinthians 12, uh, I think people don't usually say it's a gift yeah. to have conservatives and progressives in your congregation. Huh. But I think it's a spiritual gift to look at the world differently. Yeah. Um, we want a bunch of reds and a bunch of blues that come out looking purple from a distance mm. because they're staying together, right? Yeah, <laughs> because they're in right. the same place right. and they're realizing, you know, if, if each of us brings who we are, we we might just be able to become better than either side would have been. Yeah. Right. Yeah, More right. Jesus-y because I think the right has insights and the left has insights right. into who Jesus is. And so mm-hmm. so that that may not uh sort of satisfy as a as a response mm. to the to the pastor who says, What what do I do? Yeah. Because prior to what I do has to be, man, I want this to happen. Yeah, yeah. I think Jesus called this to happen, called yeah. us to make yeah. this happen. Yeah. And and after that, after the hook is set, after yeah. you know, fishers of people becomes a, <laughs> becomes yeah. a thing, then we can talk about blocking and tackling and how mm. how how it hits the ground, yeah. right? What yeah. what does your first courageous conversation look like or or yeah. how do you make a contact with a church leader from the town who's opposite you? Yeah. Um, how do you, you know, those kinds of things get easier yeah. if you want it. Yeah. They aren't, they aren't very easy if some pastor comes or some guy like me comes in from out of town and says, you know what you need to do? If you're an evangelical, you need to call that very liberal pastor from across the street <laughs> and get coffee. And yeah. if you don't want it and don't see why, why you might do that, yeah, it's probably never going to happen. It probably won't go well. Right. But if, right. if you start to picture, what if the church were John 17, mm. right? What if we were sort of this, this um, multiple gifts that look different from one another in first Corinthians 12 and brought them together yeah. in a political scrum, you know, <laughs> a political sort of, what if yeah. we became a place where people walk in and said, Whoa, this doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Right. If we became that, then yeah. the, the world would turn. So yeah. let's desire it first is, is yeah. kind of my, that's mm. why I wrote the book. Yeah. The the blocking and tackling stuff is easier than. Uh, that's right? good. The, yeah. The details. 
That so. makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, that's great. Um, and I, I think we could probably have a lot more conversations about this, but um, <laughs> let's, uh, if people wanted to find out more about you and your book and what you, you know, ways that, uh, yeah, what you're so, doing. Yeah. So a uh, couple things. I have a sort of placeholder of a, a website uh, that you could go to houseunitedmovement.org. Okay. Um, I do a daily devotional that, hmm started in the 2016 uh, 2020 election season mm. when people were just at a loss and i can give it to you mm-hmm. um marcus so when yeah. you post the podcast yep. you can put it down as one of yeah. the resources yep. um house united the the book i wrote is is a worthwhile read i think and and needs some follow-up in how to get things done but i think it's yeah. it plants the desire um yeah. and then uh, on the website is the is the information for how to contact me if, if people would like follow up help or yeah. you know I'm looking right now and this is the first time I've spoken this in any kind of public spot. Um, mm. I'm looking right now for five or six churches who want to commit themselves over the two years between the twenty uh, between the 2022 election and the 2024 election to actually instilling the skills in mm. actually developing the habits that are required to be a nation that differs yeah. and be a community at the same time um mm. and i'm just going to contract with five or six that i will come up kind of come alongside and be present to and come and do con- mm. conversations and yeah. preach if needed that kind of stuff um you can find out how to contact me about that by looking at the resources in in uh, Marcus's underneath Marcus's the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great. Good. Well, I, I will put that in the show notes for sure. Um, well, uh, Alan, thank you. This was uh, great, and uh, the book is great. Really helpful. And uh, anyway, so I'm I'm really grateful. And uh, thank you. Thanks for being. Well, it's here. a delight to get to talk to you, Marcus. Thank you for having me. You know, one of the standout statements that Alan made was that our problem a lot of the time is that we don't stay at the table. Uh, But that, uh, not staying at the table, is the opposite of what Jesus asks of us, isn't it? Jesus invites us to not only stay at the table, uh, but to love each other while at the table having important conversations. Jesus asks us to love each other more than we love our positions and policies. Uh, But that's hard. That's hard in this political climate that we find ourselves in today, which is why the work of having the kind of courageous and committed conversations that Alan describes is so important. Well, I'm so grateful for the work that Alan is doing, helping churches and organizations have those kinds of important conversations. And if you want to find out more about working with Alan, you can go to www.houseunitedmovement.org. And if you'd like to stay up on all of the great resources that the Church Leadership Institute here at Fuller Seminary provides, uh, I want to invite you to sign up for our newsletter at www.depree.org slash church. That's D-E-P-R-E-E dot org slash church. And finally, if you know someone who might benefit from this episode, would you share it with them? Maybe this episode will encourage someone to stay at the table. Well, thanks so much for being here, and I'll see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership.